0: hello everybody and welcome back to thank godzilla it's friday it is friday and that means it's a giant walrus my name is william bibbiani i'm a critic i write for the rap and everybody calls me bibbs uh
1: my name is whitney seibel uh i too am a critic i contribute to slash film and um and golly, is there some walrus egg on our walrus faces this time around. Because mm-hmm.
0: uh, cause we missed one. We did. <laughs> we missed one. We we. This is, again, this is our podcast, if you're new. This is the podcast in which we review every single Godzilla and Godzilla adjacent movie. Uh, theoretically in order, but we've screwed up too many times. Uh, and the idea <laughs> was that we would review every single canonical Godzilla story uh and uh any movie with a uh, a monster or other direct tie in to godzilla whether they met in a future film or whether they met in a video game like the idea was we're going to capture all of the movies that are technically swept up in godzilla's uh uh, uh mythology uh this means a few uh, uh omissions because for example Uh, The King Kong we met in the 1930s was not the version of King Kong that ever fought Godzilla. So Mm. we got a free pass on those, but we did the movies in the 1960s where King Kong fought Godzilla, and later on we'll do the Monsterverse, so those will all be connected. Uh, But what we have discovered as we have gone on this journey is that there were a lot of filmmakers, novelists, comic book artists... Uh, who decided to get cute and include a whole bunch of different elements of movies that were not terribly well advertised as being connected to Godzilla. And even though we did quite a bit of research going into this, a couple slipped through the cracks and we only learned about them after the point where we would have reviewed those in chronological order. So, for example, we are, we missed uh, the... Uh, uh, yeti movie almost human not almost human, ha- uh, half human half human almost human is a sci-fi yeah. series which is quite good um so we, we whoops basically we that, we, we that, screwed that's... that one
1: out but uh you know what i'm i'm not angry at ourselves i don't feel guilt about this because uh when we discover that we missed out on an ishiro honda film from the 1960s Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity. We, yep. <laughs> I, I have a great. It's oh great. We get to go back and watch you know one of these wonderful uh, Ishiro Honda movies from the nineteen sixties. I don't always in a share. I don't mind that movie. we missed one. It's oh yeah, yeah, because...
0: yeah. Ishiro Honda was a very prolific filmmaker. He directed the first Godzilla movie and most of the ones in the Showa era, and a lot of the other movies that he directed had monsters or other sci-fi concepts in them that would eventually be retconned into the Godzilla. Uh, story and the further we go down this Godzilla rabbit hole, the more I realize that what we really should have done was not thank Godzilla. It's Friday, but we're fond of Honda because we probably should have just done all of his movies. <laughs> it probably would have been maybe they can be bet. our next.
1: Pro- maybe you know once 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 you know because there are only so many Godzilla movies. We will finish eventually. I know exactly. they're making more all the time, but it's not so overwhelming that we're not going to catch up. No, no, we'll get there uh, by the summer. Yeah. Uh, so maybe yeah, maybe we could continue this project with Fonda Honda and just do do the non Godzilla genre tokusatsu and genre films that he did.
0: That's cool. Let's just do everything that he did. We'll we'll see how that goes. We'll see if there's any uh, uh, anyone's mm. clamoring for that because, Lord knows, we, I, I'm still coming up with podcast ideas and uh, I'm I'm not even telling you about half of them <laughs> because we don't have the time well, to do the ones we do now.
1: I also know that, um, for our listeners, when William comes up with a podcast idea, usually the title comes first and then he orchestrates the the subject after that. So it it has to be some kind of pun. That's not entirely wrong.
0: (laughs) I do have one. I do have one podcast idea I've been wanting to do for a while that I'm not going to tell you because we couldn't get to it right now. If we wanted to, it's just, it's another one of these. It's another long project. Uh, but the title is so good that if I told you, someone would do it. Like, that's how confident I am about this pun <laughs> title. And I'm not going to tell you about it. We might give it a try sometime in the near future. I want to keep this one in my back pocket. Sorry to be a tease. Uh, but back to, back to uh, Godzilla. So, uh, eventually, we're going to get to, it's not too far in the future, uh, a film called Godzilla Final Wars, which is... Th- I haven't seen it, but every single thing I've read about it is they were huge fans of everything Godzilla and Godzilla adjacent, and they wanted to shove it all in one film.
1: Yeah, um, that film was directed by uh, Yuhei Kitamura, mm. who did uh, films like The Midnight Meat Train, and uh, he uh, was hired, just kind of like an outsider to the Godzilla series, to do the 50th anniversary movie. The movie came out in 2004, and to celebrate, they wanted to make one movie with every single Godzilla monster in it, including, like, a new improved version of Gaigan and the American is in it. Just everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, they were as good as their word. There's mm-hmm. there's a bunch of monsters in that. Godzilla just sort of charges around the Earth, kicking monster ass, and luckily, uh, aliens can sort of summon monsters and teleport them around, so there's just fight after fight after fight. Um... It it's nonsense, yeah. Even and more so than the nonsense we've seen in the past.
0: I, I can't wait to get to it. But a lot of the films that we've been catching up to and going whoops connect to Final Wars in some way. And this uh, week's film, which we're going back in time uh, to 1962, uh, is no exception. It is called Gorath, or uh, in a more literal translation and a much better title, Ominous Star Gorath. Yeah. And. It is, it is Ishiro Honda's essentially uh, about 35 years before we got that one year where we had Deep Impact and Armageddon. It's Ishiro Honda's Deep Impact or Armageddon. There is a giant yeah. celestial body like the size of like a small planet that is careening towards Earth, and everyone on Earth is trying to figure out how the hell we solve this problem because this this thing is so big it doesn't even have to crash into us if it even comes close it's going to suck up through its through its gravity well everything on earth the oceans the people uh uh the magma from within the core is just going to get sucked out leaving earth a lifeless husk uh it is epic in concept and this wasn't I mean, this this is almost a cliche now. Like I've seen the Sci-Fi Channel rip this off a hundred times, but in 1962, while there had been you know, crash a Clash of the Moons that kind of thing, uh, this was still pretty novel and it's epic as hell. Can't argue it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it even though this film does have a monster in it, Goroth is not the monster, by the way. Goroth is the star. Yeah. The the monster we'll be talking about later is called um, uh, Maguma, and it's like a, a giant lizard walrus. Um, it barely comes into play, mm-hmm. but it's a monster, Thank and you. it's it's Godzilla adjacent. So we get to talk mm-hmm. about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, watching all of the Ishiro Honda movies, and I've I've commented on this before, uh, is. It's actually been really interesting watching how uh, how adept he is at switching tones. Mm-hmm. He makes a lot of really wild genre films. He makes a lot of monster films, but the Godzilla films are all kind of of a piece. But then he goes off and does like a different kind of science fiction movie, like something like Gorath, and this has like a little bit more of that uh, formal. Uh, 1970s disaster movie tone to it it's not Mm -hmm. somber but it feels a little bit more uh upright a little bit more heroic uh than some of these monster movies because it is about the innovation of the human characters Mm -hmm. and what they're going to do to avoid excuse me a gorath flying toward earth this Uh,
0: this this isn't a cautionary tale which is almost weird for the movies we've been covering here there's almost always this element of oh well we reap what we sow this has nothing to do with us this is just some horrible disaster and if humanity wants to survive we're gonna have to drop everything else and solve the problem when there's something very inspirational about
1: that yeah and and there's a, a notable and this is like straight out of a roland emmerich film where all of like representatives from all the different countries meet at the un building and they all discuss about putting their differences aside and getting together you know the way we hope it will work and are right. convinced it probably won't, but uh yeah, about the UN sort of gathering together. This is also notable in notable in that uh it's not set in the present. Mm-hmm. Um I think
0: it's said in nineteen seventy nine. Godzilla...
1: Yeah, I think Godzilla Final Wars might be one of the only Godzilla movies that is explicitly set in the near future. Um, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe we watched uh, one before, like one of the alien ones. That it's also, like a few it's years also tricky future.
0: because sometimes genre movies in particular, because uh, they want to do something with the plot, for example, they might jump ahead a few years without really calling a lot of attention to it and accidentally wind up in the future. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite examples That example happens all the time with... Horror. Horror happens a lot. Like um, the Child's Play movies. Like the first one... A uh, little kid oh, gets yeah, a killer yeah. doll. And then the next one was came out like a year, one or two years later. And still a little kid. He's chased by the same doll. Ah And then the next one came out only one or two years after that. And now the kid is a teenager. But the other ones took place yeah. in the present day. So this one now takes place in like the late 1990s. And they never touch on that. They never like, oh, thank God we... Uh, our, our hologram tv uh came through the mail you know we invented those in 1996 uh they, they never call attention to it like that they just sort of accidentally wind up in the future uh, but this one's very intentional this one's intentionally because mm. because it has to be because in order to solve any of these problems we need actual spaceships not like experimental shuttles
1: right right right
0: yeah I mean, occasionally
1: they try to make it work. I'm, uh, the movie this reminded me most of was actually Moonfall. The, yeah. <laughs> speaking of Roland Emmerich. Yeah, it's uh, got a lot of that. But Moonfall does take place in the present or like maybe a few years in the future. But one of the more ridiculous things about that movie, which is plenty ridiculous, uh, is that they use sort of the technology available to us to just sort of get to the moon in a pinch. Uh, well, it helps that, that the moon is amazing. getting
0: closer and closer. Like we only have to go like 50 miles. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's true. That's ship. it. does make like it a the, lot. The, one
1: of the, one of the conceits of the movie is that the moon is getting closer and closer to earth and it's like scraping up against the earth. And the gravity of the moon is so strong. It's like pulling things off of the earth's surface
0: Mm-hmm. There's a scene in which like a kid is like st- I think it's like stuck under a tree or a rock or something, and this girl is like, "Oh, I can't lift it because I'm a I'm a mortal person and I have limitations." Wait, the moon is coming. The moon will save us. And then the moon flies overhead and it messes with the gravity, and now she can lift it. And it's like, oh. "Thanks, Moon."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's the that's the silliest damn movie. There's, there, that movie and, is so deeply in love with Elon Musk too. It's super weird.
1: Oh yeah. It, well, I mean, uh, I, th- I think it, it was made before we knew what we knew now. But
0: perhaps. But at the same time, it's it's even with that, it's it's kind of creepy in it's hero worship because it's all like, oh, we got to go to space. Thank God for Elon Musk. I think, and I, the, the, one of the characters even just says, "I love Elon." Yeah. Oh, that's right. Like do. makes a cute little face. Oh, oh, oh my God. Uh, Nothing like
1: that in Gorath, luckily. Um, No. uh, Yeah, Gorath, uh, there's a a space mission they find, uh, and it's really wonderfully detailed. You know, a lot of space, uh, a lot of time excuse me, spent in space on this like space mission. And uh, while they're uh, flying around in their rocket ship, uh, they're going to Saturn, because it's the near future, and that's where we're going to go. Manned flight to Saturn. And They find that's when they detect Gorath is coming through space, and Gorath is like a collapsed star Mm. that uh, is the size of Earth but has like six thousand times Earth's gravity. So it's it's hurtling through Earth, uh, and it's gonna and it's gonna hit Earth. Yeah, Um, which is bad. By the way, that's a bad. Yeah, if it has six thousand times Earth's gravity, I'm surprised there isn't something about how oh it just like sucked up Jupiter. You know that. What what is Jupiter? Doesn't Jupiter, well, Jupiter is like a gas giant. times? I think, yeah, I don't know. But I, I don't it, know it has pretty that, heavy otherwise. gravity. Yeah,
0: maybe Jupiter isn't the best example of this, but there is this really, honestly, this is an image. I've uh, who was it? I think was it, was it like Werner Herzog who said like we're starving for new images in yeah, movies? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and that's true. When you think about all the different stories, all the different visual effects we've used to realize things from our imagination, when you stumble across an image. Not just an angle, but like an image you've never seen before in a movie. It mm-hmm. makes an impact, even if the rest of the movie isn't great. And Gorath is hardly one of my favorite movies that we've covered, but it is fun. There's a shot in this movie of Gorath, the, the collapsed star, uh, sailing past Saturn, sucking up its ring.
1: Yeah, the it's The ring cool. of
0: Saturn gets sucked up into the star, and I've i've never seen that before that is such an imaginative wonderful i mean it's harrowing it's 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 like unthinkably cosmic but also wow that's a cool image (laughs) like holy shit how has no one ripped that off more that's just incredible um so that all that stuff is very cool and it is later on in the film as it gets closer to earth they'll say like oh it sucked up the moon damn well it's like yeah sadly we we didn't see
1: it I think we're gonna also, need that um, later, aren't we? Like if we survive this, then we kind of need the moon. There's also a, like a bit where do. it's like, oh, it's it's increased its mass a lot by sucking up like space debris. And this is the near future, so it it's presumed there's gonna be a lot of it. There's and there's this artist's rendering. Uh, it's like just a still painting on the screen of like a bunch of trash swirling through space and wrapping around, like like litter. It's just like candy wrappers and well, stuff and in space,
0: asteroids and stuff like that. But like, yeah, but yeah. In, in the yeah.
1: artist's rendering, it's like okay, it's picking up space trash and getting well, bigger. I, and, I don't know uh, if they
0: had this everywhere in the world, but there used to be this uh, little uh, uh, clip that would air in front of movies in theaters that was like. Uh, uh, Snacks flying through the air and like landing in like a garbage can because that's to remind you, throw your trash away so the ushers don't have to do it. Uh-huh. Um, maybe that's where they
1: filmed that was in space because there's all that trash. <laughs> um, by the way, um, I looked it up. Jupiter's mm. gravity is only 2.5 times greater than that of Earth's, mm. the Sun has gravity only 28 times greater than Earth's. A, oh, shit. A, a planetoid that has six thousand times the gravity of Earth would literally just wreak complete havoc on our solar system. The, yeah, I was wondering is... about that. Like,
0: I was like, would it? What would happen if it collided with the sun? Is that would that destroy Gorath? Would that destroy the sun? And I think even if it like sails past Earth, I think we're still fucked because <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to suck up the sun. <laughs> That's not good. Like,
1: yeah, like, out of sight like, out, out of mind
0: it... I guess and it will be out of sight because we won't have any light left in our galaxy uh,
1: like, uh, well, solar like system, that, yeah that'll like i don't I don't know how like what the gravitational pull of a black hole is um i that's something curious... I used to be able to rattle off of the top of my head
0: i I would be curious to see um one of those like you know a real scientist watches this sci-fi movie and tells you everything wrong with it um the story that I've heard and I don't know if this is still true or not uh, that the most scientifically inaccurate movie ever made was the core
1: oh yeah 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 uh, which which, was, which is a who? that's a fun
0: movie to watch that's yeah. uh, okay but like it's 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 a it's another ridiculous disaster movie and if you've never seen it it is about what would happen if the core of the earth stopped spinning well, naturally we'd have to drill to the center of the earth and jump start the Earth's core with nuclear
1: weapons. Of course. Someone got paid to write that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably and, a lot. And, they, have, and uh, they make this big, big, super phallic ship that's going to, like, uh, plunge down into the Mariana Trench. Like, it's super sexual. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's really great. Um, anyway, Gorath, so uh, it's 1979. We get a big information dump right at the beginning uh, about everything that's going on. Uh, Pluto's orbit has been thrown out of whack. There's radiation from space. The tides are rising more than they should, uh, and uh, there is a ship called the Hawk, uh, which is out trying to investigate Gorath. And we meet like our cool heroes. There's like, like a really stern. You know, almost Picard-like captain, uh, more of a young, handsome second in command who's got like who's engaged to an attractive woman on Earth, so they've got a whole future together, and they die like right away. Yeah, yeah. Like it's really, really sad. But they, they have this. Th- I, I really like it though because they're scientists first and foremost, and they say, "Listen, we're screwed. There's literally nothing we can do. We're too close to this thing. But what we can do." is get as much information as possible. All the data that we can collect about this thing that we can then send to Earth is an opportunity to save the planet. So everybody, suck it up. Do your jobs. We'll be dead in an hour, but by God, we can make a difference. And again, that's heroic as hell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's really great. Um, So we come back to Earth, and we meet uh, some more of our main characters, and... uh, there's uh, there's a the young woman who was engaged to the second in command, and her ex-boyfriend is another hotshot pilot uh, named Tatsu, and here's the thing and this is something that they, they play with a little bit and then this kind of drop after a while their best and their brightest astronauts were crewmen aboard the Hawk the yeah. second ship that they have a sister ship, so they can reuse the same set and not call attention to it uh, the Eagle appears to be crewed entirely by comic relief sidekicks.
1: Well, they're 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 the people who are capable, but they're like um like they're they're not ready for like they haven't they're not they're inexperienced. Which mm. I get. You know, it's you want but some dramatic. Attention. Guys, you can, though. I mean they're they're played as like sort of casual and a little bit loose, especially compared to the more formal astronauts. But yeah, the champions of the movie have been destroyed. They've been taken out by this space disaster, and now it's up to the B team to uh, to, to come to the rescue. And I think that's inspiring. It, you know, it's fun, don't get me
0: wrong. I I, I like... Well, actually, I have some issues with Tatsu, because he's kind of an asshole. But uh, generally speaking, yeah. I, I like that premise. I like that, you know, okay, well, listen, You know, we, we put our best and brightest onto this. They died, and so we need to get our second best and our second brightest. And they may or may not be up to the challenge, but... They're not experienced enough to like not be just kind of flip hotshot test pilots in a very green lantern sort of way. Um, They're, they're trained to, uh, uh, you know, do this important mission and they're goofing around in the zero gravity chamber, but they take it seriously. They want to save the earth and they are informed just before like the, the mission is supposed to begin. The mission has been scrapped and they say, why? And the answer is budget. We're all gonna die.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what? What are you budget? saving the money for? What are
0: you? What do we? What do we? What? What is your concern? And and that's, well, that's honestly that's, the uh, most plausible thing in the movie to me.
1: You know what? That, but I'd that's really something they that address that in the core as well. That's a big part yeah. of the core. The guy who invented the like the metal plating that's gonna go around their like their phallic burrowing tube uh yeah. says yeah i or no it, it was uh it was the laser Del lindo. like the, the the yeah the delroy lindo character designed the, the drilling laser yeah and they said okay well how much would it cost you to actually build something like this and he kind of like just jokingly says i don't know five billion dollars and without skipping a beat the government guy just says will you take a check that and, that uh, part
0: was a good bit i, I admit
1: that yeah I really yeah like
0: that bit about it's it like yeah
1: ride. we don't we don't care how much it costs we we're gonna die <laughs> let's just yeah. do it
0: uh but this does bring us back to something that uh since we've been in the Heisei era, we've mostly skimmed over or or definitely we haven't spent as much time on as we did in the earlier Ishiro Honda days of this podcast, uh, which is a long boring meetings.
1: I like the long boring meetings. I'm I like not my arguing sci-fi it, to be long and boring. It is it I, is I'm an not accurate even kidding. descriptor I like that stuff.
0: It's an accurate descriptor, let's just be fair. These are long drawn out. They're taking it really, really seriously, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, Sometimes these meetings have, like, high points, like when all the countries of the world says, I, uh, um, what is it? I propose everyone just declassify all the science information they have in all of their countries. And everyone's like, yeah! And I'm like, ooh, I like this fantasy. Mm Mm-mm. That's the thing. Our fantasies are, are I think, often uh, uh, undermined by our desire to make them plausible. Like, let's let's dream, shall we? Yeah, let's actually know, like let's... show people a, a world in which things worked. Wouldn't that be nice?
1: Although I think um, I like the element of reality that makes the fantasy seem that much more real, doesn't it? Uh, mm. I also. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about something like Gorath, which is just sort of this wildly implausible sci-fi story mm-hmm. of like slowing itself down or ruining itself or undercutting anything by presenting an element of reality. I think all of the fun and the fantasy is still there.
0: I, I, I think I, what I'm referring to about the fantasy, cause like, I, I'm not saying that everything should just be complete wackiness. There's a place for that. Um, my, my, my point is actually a broader uh, thing about how when we, uh, tell fantasy stories whether they're uh, magical or science or whether there's no meaningful difference between the two because it's not real science yeah i feel like there's a tendency we have to uh, undermine a, a sort of a, a a fantasy of things being better utopian even uh because we don't believe in it or because it's not practical And and this is not the same thing but i was thinking about this earlier today uh, time travel stories. Uh-huh. One of the most common ways of telling a time travel story, there are exceptions to this, but we've all seen this version and we've seen it a lot. If you go back in time and change something, doesn't matter if it's well-intentioned, doesn't matter if you think it's a good idea, it's bad. It will lead to something worse. Yeah, yeah. And what, I think where that comes from, on a fundamental level, is we tell sci-fi stories to talk about our reality in a, in a mm-hmm. veiled way. And the reality is we cannot change our past. And when we talk about our past, we talk about processing our past, we talk about maybe moving on with our past, or accepting our past, but on a very literal level, we cannot change it. And so I feel like we often use time travel stories to enforce the idea that the best thing to do with our past is learn to live with it and move on and try to be better in the future. But Yeah, which, you, you know, that, that's a practical lesson. It is, and I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but there's so many... That argue that, that I think we're forgetting that we're also fantasizing about a universe in which time travel is possible. So mm-hmm. maybe this underlying, uh, arguably cynical pragmatism uh, uh, that we're approaching from a fundamental level, these time travel stories, maybe there is also a place, maybe it would be equally healthy to suggest that history doesn't have to be terrible. And that maybe presenting a possibility that we could go back in time and undo some of the terrible, horrible, tragic, monstrous things that have happened in the past and create a better future might Mm. actually inspire us to do a better job of doing that now. Because I feel like there's an underlying element of that that suggests that, well, bad things have to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. Maybe they don't so much. Maybe we can do more. Maybe we should fantasize about that more.
1: Well, I mean, there's there's that Candide element to it that, you know, no matter how bad things look, this is the best of all possible worlds. I, I know uh, Stephen Fry, I, I think it was Stephen Fry, wrote a, a, a time travel story about uh, people who were constantly going back in time and trying to erase uh, death or erase, you know, cataclysms, save people, try, you know, kill off dictators, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, the conceit of the story was that Time and humanity was so just deeply and horrendously fucked mm-hmm. that this world that we currently live in actually is the best they've been able to do. Because uh, without their interference, mm-hmm. things would be so much worse. And that's something that we don't consider either. You know, um, Maybe,
0: but I also argue that, again, that that's a certain degree of cynicism. And I honestly... Yeah, the, well, absolutely world, it is. It's a cynical and world also, in which we live. I want to be able to dream of something better. And when the things that I go to to present me with those dreams can't even imagine that well, but uh, also uh, consistently, cons- it's, it's, a, it's a little sad, a- isn't it?
1: I know we're off on, uh, on time travel, but consider this. If, if time travel were invented and we were able to go back in time and alter things, it would have happened already. Uh, so I think that's what, what a lot of these time travel stories are getting at. That, uh, well, maybe know, it hasn't happened has yet because we haven't things. got to the future. Um, well, I suppose so. And time L- L- does that, keep moving forward. You know, um, I'm, I'm
0: going to cut us off wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. We can yeah. get into the weeds. On anyway, that. Gorath uh, yes. has no
1: time travel in it whatsoever. It does have a no. big, uh, massive is, sun. And, and, and then there's, there's a big meeting at the UN. And mm-hmm. I like the big meetings at the UN because it shows that not only are the characters thinking about a space disaster, however mm. fantastical it may be, but the filmmakers are too. They're actually bothering to put a little bit of thought and energy into the way the world would actually react were a big fantasy disaster to suddenly appear in the sky. And I think it's uh, also solution, presenting us with
0: the best version of that, in which people are agreeing to work together, and I think that is a positive thing. That's what I was getting around yeah, to yeah. in a long way, long-winded way. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's like... It, uh, one of the fantasies that we do have when we watch a lot of entertainment is simply the system working the way it's supposed to, yeah. uh, it, it, which is a, a little bit sad when you think about it. I think that's the reason why a lot of people like a TV show like Law & Order. Uh, Law & Order... Simple little cases, not always a happy ending. Sometimes the bad guys get away with it. Sometimes mm-hmm. they prosecute the wrong person. Somebody's always dead in, in these stories. So it's you know always an element of tragedy. But we get to see police people, police detectives doing their job well, and then lawyers doing their job well. And right. everything works out the way it's supposed to. And there's a weird comfort just to watch the process working. Uh, and i think I, gorath is doing that it's showing us the united nations mm-hmm. all of these nations getting together talking about a big problem resolving their differences there's some imaginary countries in there if i if i caught it correctly well and, essentially because uh, you saw
0: the uh japanese subtitled version and i had i could only find the american dub oh okay. so there might be some different there might be some differentiations there um we can get into the weeds about the law and order propaganda thing, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drop that and just say We're aware of that and we'll have that Conversation another day, but uh, So The good news is, is that we have the Meetings and the mission is back on and that was Just kind of an artificial attempt to Add a little tension and drama So now our heroes are about to go into Space and our guy Tatsu, who Again, his ex-girlfriend was engaged To the second in command of The first doomed mission uh, to Gorath, uh, he's going to go up into space and he wants to see her. So he goes to her apartment, and he, he declares his attentions, basically. And and again, I'm curious if this is the same or similar in the subtitled version, but in the American dub, uh, she basically explains that she still hasn't gotten over the very recent death of her fiancé, And she's not in a position to even consider other romance right now. And what he does is he takes the picture of her fiance, the framed photo she has on her nightstand. He literally throws it out the window and they're in like a skyscraper. And he says, you poor little girl, you're the clown. And he walks out in a huff. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> this is this our hero? Jesus! What the hell? Is, does it play out this uh, similarly? in the is the is the subtitle version uh, maybe kinder? Or
1: I I don't recall that. I don't yeah. I don't recall it being quite qu- quite like that. I think the idea was um, just that you know she, I think she was like. T- Something about you know hanging on to his memory when she didn't need to, that kind of thing. So it sounds like um, sounds
0: like there there was a lot less harsh in that version.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and
0: hopefully more accurately translated versions. So because again, they I don't they, I don't they, remember they do the exact line
1: of dialogue, but it wasn't it wasn't that.
0: Okay, yeah, okay. So because he comes across like a real dick in the American version for some reason. Um Anyway, uh, meanwhile, so they, they've decided that there are two uh, plans of attack here. They can There are two solutions that they have to surviving Gorath. One, they're going to send a, sh- a, a, a ship into space, and they're going to try to push Gorath off its path. Hmm. Two, if that fails, they're going to move Earth. They're going <laughs> to build a whole bunch of rockets at the South Pole... And turn them on at the same time and push Earth
1: out, out of Gorath's
0: way, which is right out of Frisky Dingo, uh, and that's yeah, good gonna... because Frisky Dingo's the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they're gonna push Earth out of the way of Gorath. I assume they would also put thrusters in the North Pole so they could push it back into orbit. Well, or like, it's just gonna I, spin I don't think they... and we
0: just gotta aim? We just gotta hit the rockets at the right time. Uh, it's well, w- we're gonna lose the moon, so we're gonna be spinning out of control, no matter what,
1: yeah, <laughs> so but it uh, doesn't
0: really
1: yeah there's there's no attempt to like maybe there's not a line of dialogue where they say and, and Earth will fall naturally back into its orbit after that. never mind that you're pushing the whole planet closer to the sun, and mm. you're probably killing every person on the planet's surface in so doing,
0: yeah, or further away and freezing uh, them like one or the other,
1: uh, yeah. so um, yeah. It's it's a delicate ballet. <laughs> just push the Earth out of its orbit.
0: No, and it's and it's so uh, ridiculous, and it's it's. But again, it has to be. It has to be that if it's there's a there's a line, and again, it's the American dub, so I can't say if this is in both versions. But there's there's a couple of bits in the middle where people are talking about how they don't really want to deal with the problem. Like there's this one bit. This isn't the bit I'm talking about. Where a bunch of the scientists are in a car, and their their driver is talking about, oh yeah, Gorath, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. There's mm-hmm. always something that's going to destroy us, right? It never works out. You guys always figure it out. Everything will be fine. And It's very, very don't look up in its approach. Um, but, um, oh, where was I going with this? There's 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 that guy and there's also, um, oh, there's also a sentiment where someone says, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are just saying, ah, let the Americans handle it. They usually do this shit. <laughs> which is kind of funny in meta but
1: they're the space people it should yeah, be they're... the americans and the soviets like those are the only people who are working on it
0: yeah but it turns out it's all it's all in japan this time so they go down to the south pole and there's a whole bunch of stuff about we got to get the right materials we got to build the, the rockets like we can't build all the rockets like too close together or instead of pushing the planet they'll just punch a hole in it so it's got to be like the 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 force has got to be spread out far enough that it'll actually push the planet, which sounds sciency. <laughs> I haven't done <laughs> any research on it, but it sounds plausible more plausible than the other option um, mm. and i'm gonna I'm, let's just stick at the South Pole for a minute because w- this happens a little later in the movie, but as they're trying to solve all these problems at the South Pole, and they only have like a few months to do all this, they accidentally Unleash a giant monster.
1: Uh, Which happened, this happens at the end of the movie, by the way. Yeah, this is much
0: later on because, but we're we're, we're bifurcating the plot because there's a plot in space and there's a plot on Earth. We'll just talk about the Earth plot for a minute. That this is what it's all leading to. This is like the at the last minute, something goes wrong, and so we have to solve it in order to sort of add more tension. And the thing that goes wrong is uh while we're digging into the earth to build these these giant rockets uh we di- we unearth like a giant cave and in that cave there is a giant walrus monster yeah this was not as you can imagine part of the original pitch
1: <laughs> this was yeah. this was forced fact, on ishiro honda the the monster from what i understand wasn't even in the american cut
0: yeah yeah they cut it out i'll i'll, I'll explain how they how they cut it out in a minute it's it's not in it very much, but the idea is they unleash this monster. The monster starts attacking all of their stuff, and they have to kill the monster, and they do very very quickly. Um, yeah, it was the the uh, apparently it was uh, Toho's belief that at this stage in popular culture, a movie like this had to have a giant monster in order to be successful. So yeah. fit one in wherever you can. And Ashira Honda didn't want to do it. He didn't even direct those sequences. Uh, and apparently he even said that if it wasn't for that monster, this would be his favorite movie he ever did.
1: Which like the uh, I understand because it. It, it really is just a, a solid disaster film yeah. about, uh, you know, the technology is really cool. It's really well photographed. Um, it's uh, this, you know, his usual science fiction um, uh, special effects guy, Eiji Tsubaraya. And yeah, it just, it, this is, this is firing on all so, all cylinders, mm-hmm. not to, <laughs> uh, it, it really, and there's a lot of like loving shots of all of the rockets firing into the oh, sky. Yeah. And they're um, cool
0: shots. They're very, they're very uh, beautifully uh, uh, framed. Yeah, is, uh, there's this, a yeah, lot of painterly. beautiful, beautiful
1: widescreen, a lot of really great color. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just a really wonderful looking movie. And the monster does really feel kind of random. Like, if you're going to have the monster, hmm. you need to have it earlier in the movie, even if it's at like. Right at the end of the second act, yeah. Like, okay, you can get an hour into this eighty-eight minute movie, and then introduce the monster, and all of a sudden you have a new crisis, and that's what we have to deal with now.
0: It only works where it is now if you are just of the opinion that if a giant monster shows up in the movie, you don't even need to explain it anymore. Yeah, it's just oh yeah, giant monsters. Yeah, right. Like like we have, you know, that's constantly an issue, right? You never you, you can't dig a well. Uh, without unearthing a giant monster. It's always something. Uh, The American version uh, cuts out the monster, but it leaves in the monster subplot in a very awkward and unsatisfying way. Because they keep the bit where, oh no, there's a disaster and all of our stuff is breaking. And then the scientists go to investigate. And instead of finding a monster, they land and then they go, oh, oh no, an earthquake. And then they get back in their ship and then in their ship they 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 get in their ship and then they fire lasers at the earthquake and that kills the earthquake and then we see in one shot there's one shot where the monster's in it it's a shot of all of like the stuff that they just blasted with their laser and you can see the corpse of a giant walrus right there completely unexplained and unjustified and they just say well that solves that problem let's get back, let's get back to it boys Oh we look at should that. It's cut
1: a, the entire scene. What were we thinking? is a visual It's a visualization of an earthquake. This is a, a a physical manifestation of the idea of an earthquake, and it happens to look like a dead walrus. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> good thing we shot it yeah. like Jesus Christ. Like, no, it it, it,
1: it, it, it adds an element of wild... I actually don't mind... I know you, have Honda, might not like it, but I think it does yeah. add this kind of wild element to the movie that uh, really does kind of up the stakes. The problem is, if if you're going to do that, you need to have it earlier in the movie, uh, yeah. not, like, literally 10 minutes from the end. It's, like, mm. right at the end of this movie. And this movie's short. Really it's on. only, like, 88 minutes, yeah.
0: It's, it's tacked on. And, and you know what? They've done that before. Like, Mondo was really tacked on. Um, yeah, that's
1: true. Well Manda, uh, they like they implied they had something.
0: Well that's it. They did you're right. They didn't mention that Monda existed and then it was building up, building up, building up, and then they revealed Monda at the end. Still wasn't enough Monda, but at least he got some cool stuff to do and destroy all monsters. Monda's still one mm-hmm. of my favorites. Um Yeah, from, from Atragon. Anyway, uh so eventually they're gonna use the thrusters. But in space, they go to Gorath and Tatsu gets in a spaceship and he's gonna go uh, uh sort of check it out and it's it's a little hazy in my version i'm curious if if the 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 subtitled version was a little clear about what happens it, in my version it looks like he flies up to gorath he sees it in all of its horrifying wonder and he just spirals out of control and like wakes up later uh, without his memory like it 's like he touched the cosmos in a very two thousand and one a space odyssey way seven years before that movie came out uh and it broke his brain uh, Is that mm. how it played in your version is that is that your interpretation um
1: no i, yes? I don't i don 't no? think so i don't i don't <laughs> you 're describing things i don 't recall uh so well, I guess again, cause my version uh, might
0: be a little different that 's the thing yeah you know it, the just a change in translation even a subtle change can completely change the interpretation of the scene
1: I just watched this film yesterday and I just I just remember them being successful I don't remember anything uh, about the characters really um (laughs)
0: The characters aren't aren't really the high point, but the the gist is. I remember uh, I
1: remember uh, Takashi Shimura is in it. Like he's in two scenes. He has nothing to yeah, do. Yeah, just to bring it a little dignity.
0: But uh, no, this guy Tatsu. He goes up to Gorath. He's going to investigate it. All he's really able to do is bring more information to Earth, which really y- 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 you could have just not, and the movie would have been the same. But whatever, we added more space junk. We added more tension and a few more cool visual effects. once says it's fine. He comes back to Earth, uh, he's lost his memory, they take him to the girl he, he was in love with, but didn't really love him back, and it's just basically like, hey, um, maybe this will help? And they're just like, no, probably, no, it doesn't really seem to be working. Well, would you mind taking him, because we're all going to die, and he's got to go somewhere. And they're like, yeah, okay. And so <laughs> he ends up spending some time with like them and their family, and then just before... Gorath is about to destroy us all. He's like, Oh yeah. And he gets his memory back and everything's great. But, uh, it all basically boils down to in the end at the last minute, they fire all the turbo thrusters. Gorath sucks up the moon and the tides like destroy a lot of the big cities in very deep impact kind of way. Uh, Uh but they do manage to push the earth out of the Gorath's path far enough to save the people of earth um, and they do say in in my version at least that like we're gonna have to figure out how to get this sucker back in place, um, but that's that's a problem for tomorrow. <laughs> like today, we'll yeah, <laughs> we're just gonna deal with, we're just gonna high five each other and, and have a drink because I think we've earned it. But um, yeah, a lot of problems are gonna have to be dealt with. But the overall message is that for the very first time, uh, all of humanity. Joint forces for a common goal. Mm-hmm. And there's even a line, again, it's in my version, where they talk about how there is a history of science and technology taking rapid leaps forward in times of war. Yeah. This is the first time it's going to happen in a time of peace, where it's not an enemy, it's an existential threat. It's like an environmental threat. And... Wouldn't that be nice if we could all at least acknowledge the existence of something like that and say, "Hey, let's do something about it." If we threw enough money at it, it would actually we could actually solve it, right?
1: Well, also, why are you concerned about money? <laughs> I, I I didn't see uh, Armageddon, the the Michael Bay movie, yeah. but I do know that um, one of the conceits was like these brave astronaut warriors or whoever they are, like the ensemble cast, they're gonna fly into space. And drill and plant a bomb inside of a comet and blow it up before it can hit Earth. Never mind right. that a bunch of comet pieces would be equally devastating. Um, well, and they're
0: and they're they're hitting Earth already. By the way, like that's that's like that's how they keep goosing the tension. Is that every once in a while a big shard will just break a city because it's like the opening act it. for the asteroid or
1: whatever. <laughs> but I I know that. Uh, all of these guys uh, agree to go on this mission if uh, they never have to pay taxes ever again. Like, that was one of the mm. rewards they wanted. I mean, like they're, give they're... them whatever they want, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. How about you just... How about we realize that we can accomplish a lot if we don't worry about money and mm-hmm. we do what needs to be done? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So you know, it, d- disasters are kind of post-capitalist, and I appreciate that. It's sp- well, solving well, I guess them the is anyway. Well, the hopeful ones, yeah. The,
0: the solving a disaster tends to be post-capitalist. That yeah, sorry, or I, I let's should say bring it d- back. Disaster
1: movies, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That or let's bring it back. We get something like Moonfall, which is solved by Elon Musk.
1: Yeah, the, like uh, indirectly. The, the, but yeah. the brave, the brave, brilliant billionaire who's going to you know, mm-hmm. use his resources to help save us. Mm -hmm. We can't count on the government, but we can count on these brave, single capitalist dudes. But here's the thing about that. Even if you want
0: to have that message, even if your message is, regardless of whether anyone uh, agrees with it, um, government bureaucracies are so broken, the only way we're going to get anything done is if someone outside the system with the means to do something about it decides to just break through all of that red tape. And yeah, really. do it. There, that's the whole political message, but let's just ignore that for one second and just look at that practically. Even then, you're looking at kind of a post-capitalist idea because that capitalist who would have the ability to do this would be using all of their resources not for profit. Yeah, yeah. they would, They would be putting the needs of others first and spending that money on others. So it's still not, strictly speaking holy capitalists. So you're still poking holes in the system because the, the idea of solving the needs of the many, regardless of the cost is uh, not something I think a lot of the world's actual billionaires would do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and and, uh, the, um, as the wisdom goes, uh, if, if there were such thing as a a benevolent billionaire, they would have solved the problem already. Yeah, uh you know they probably would have spent that uh, money, yeah yeah could could billionaires solve world hunger? yeah, they could, why haven't they? because they don't want to, mm-hmm. we haven't convinced them to give up their fortune to solve a major human issue, uh they're just hanging on their money if they could, they would mm-hmm. if they wanted and al- to,
0: and there's always there's always that one person who just says, "Hey, they don't have all of those billions in liquidity, right? they have all of that in property, yeah, they could sell that, you could do that any anytime. <laughs> but we're getting off on a whole you'll tangent. Give, the point give, is that well, we
1: know give it away. You know, it's... The,
0: the thing is that we're our, our level right now of political and social engagement and the types of conversations that we're having, whatever side of the fence that you're on are about things like income disparity and, uh, uh, Where the economy functions and how it is not in many ways and how many of our uh, uh, ideals about the way that the government is supposed to work and sort of take care of the people is kind of undermined by the fact that partisan politics has thrown politics into total absolute gridlock where almost nothing can ever get accomplished at all it's extremely easy whether you were talking about politics or capitalism regardless of what side of the fence you're on to be very disillusioned with the fantasy of anything meaningful working and so yeah. watching something like gorath where it does this has brought me back to my time travel thing to watch sci-fi that is you know it's a little naive and it's science but is ultimately very hopeful about the human condition, especially when we've dealt with so many movies in this cycle, which are very much, you know, well, we screwed everything up and this is what we get for it. Uh, yeah. It's refreshing and it, it's kind of nice. This movie, I think, is a little dry by modern standards, but I do think it's very good.
1: Uh, uh, it, I, it Maybe it's dry, but, you know, not... It's not, like, dull. It's It never drags at any moment.
0: It gets a little dull in the beginning, but I do think it's worth it.
1: Uh, I, I think it works just fine. I, I yeah. like the way it works. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, maybe that's why, you know, you, you and I have a Star Trek podcast. I think that's mm-hmm. why a lot of people are drawn to something like Star Trek. Um, not only does it show uh, the system working and, you know, people improving into the future... But it is explicitly about the things we needed to get rid of in order for that to happen. It actually has a solution for us. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek, specifically, uh, and Gorath as well, says that uh, diplomacy is key. We need to learn to negotiate and talk to each other and come to common solutions because we're all interested in that. But Star Trek goes one further and says, actually... Financial interests are a big stumbling block for us. We need to get rid of financial interests. There's no money now. The The solution to the problem is now all we need to concern ourselves with. Yeah. And also uh, a big part of, um, you know, tangled directly up with that is the war machine. Mm. We are no longer interested in, in combat or conquering or asserting our dominance over other nations. There are no nations Earth is united, and nobody's at war with each other anymore. And that is how we can get to a utopia when things will actually friggin' work. Yeah. That's a nice fantasy, too, it's, isn't it? It's a
0: great fantasy. It's a great fantasy. I'm looking over my uh, notes, because I take a lot of notes for these, because we get into the minutia. And towards the end of the podcast, I always check my notes to make sure there was nothing I forgot. And I was very silly earlier today because here, here is what I had written down while uh, the Earth cities were being destroyed by tidal waves and uh, as Gorath approached. Oceans rise, empires fall. We're gonna get killed by a giant ball. And when Earth meets Gorath, I will act. Activate the rockets at the South Pole to divert us from its path. Da 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 <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> So um
1: uh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Thank
0: you. I, I I couldn't I could not do that. I don't I don't care how embarrassing it is. Um Gorath. Uh, that's Gorath, everybody. Gorath is actually not readily available on like any home video. We had to find it online.
1: Yeah, um, we, we we had to. You know, it's a shame, really.
0: I think be a little bit a little bit more a...
1: resourceful than usual.
0: Criterion or Arrow or someone needs to put out like the sci-fi films of a Shiro Honda box set and not yeah. just the the Godzilla ones, but the other ones too.
1: Clean because them because he up. He did so much. He show did So world. many of them. He did so many good ones. Um, I, you know the special effects is really great on a lot of these things. I imagine it's probably just a big issue of having to you know secure the rights. most of, of these I think you did for Toho, so yeah, I don't know. Um, there's always the concern, but, but the yeah. thing
0: is is that there's because the home video market is becoming more and more of a specialty concern, a lot of these studios aren't terribly concerned with doing this themselves, and so if a home video distributor which knows the size of its market, and knows how much it can spend and actually get their money back on it because you know, they're finding mm-hmm. an equilibrium, uh, is offering to do it for them, there's a really good chance they'll say, yeah, fine, knock yourself out.
1: We're <laughs> not going to do
0: it. We've spent decades not putting this out on home video. Go nuts. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, but on that note, uh, remember when we said, that? like, oh, no, we screwed up. We missed one. Uh mm-hmm. oh no, we screwed up, we missed another. Um Did and he? rather than rather than wait, we decided we're just gonna do do them both at once. So well not in one episode, we're gonna do one next week. So uh Gorath, which will key into Final Wars and uh Maguma has appeared in other uh bits of media, uh will also connect us uh uh, uh that that's connected and we also have another Ishiro Honda sci fi movie uh that does in a very tangential way Connect to Godzilla Mostly in other media There's a reference in Final Wars But it isn't really a canonical reference But it's canonical elsewhere uh, This is a horror movie from 1963 One year after Gorath uh, About uh, Evil mushrooms
1: Mu- called Humanoid matongo. mushrooms yeah, yeah,
0: like mushroom people Walking around killing folks Called the Matongo thing, you
1: goth, Yeah
0: Yeah uh, so we will be reviewing Matongo uh, uh, on the next episode of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. And after that, we'll finally get to the Millennium Era of Godzilla. And then I think we're good.
1: I think Knock we'll on be going wood. Straight... I've said that before. Yeah, I think we'll be going straight through to the end at that point. But we'll see. Maybe there's something that we'll discover along the way. And you know what? I kind of hope we do. Uh, I, I hope our <laughs> listeners aren't getting frustrated with us not... Continuing a pace or, you know, us kind of going back every once in a while because I, I like to feel like we're on a journey and that our listeners are with us and that we all get to enjoy these wonderful old monster movies and science fiction films together because I, I really liked uh, these. I really like these movies. I really like Yashiro Honda yeah. as a director. I'm really appreciating Yashiro Honda as a director. Same. Um, he, I think um, there's a tendency in the United States to assume that Godzilla movies are camp and mm-hmm. to be certain, there are a lot of really there's a lot of really stupid, wild shit in the Godzilla movies, and in a lot yeah, a of few these, of them
0: were, old... a few of them are proper camp. Let's be fair,
1: a few, yeah, like Godzilla versus Megalon is just kookiness. Yeah. Um War of the Gargantuas, kookiness. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Devo covered the song for War of the Gargantuas. That's where we stood <laughs> with that one. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I I feel like we're getting a pretty good, strong filmmaker, and we're getting. <sighs> Uh, A series of films that is actually like solid sci-fi entertainment, even though the the premise of these movies is pretty wild. Uh, and There's a lot more
0: variety than I think people give it credit for, because I think people who only dip their toe uh, into uh, the, the films or other media of a culture or a country that is not their own. Which is uh-huh. very common. Oftentimes, a lot of movies aren't even made available overseas, especially uh, earlier on in the days before streaming, when it was uh, a bigger deal to import them and to find try to find an audience for them. Um, we get an incomplete idea of what is actually going on cinematically uh, yeah. uh, in various uh, different countries, and, uh, and you know a lot of these movies were they were dubbed often badly, they were edited often badly when they came to America, and they are sometimes uh, worse for that wear. Uh, but this has been a really fascinating journey. I, I love it to pieces, and I think, you know, we, we, we get correspondence from people saying that, like, they really like these deep dives because, well, why be superficial about it? Let's do the whole thing. And yeah, it's a lot, but we'll, we will be done by this summer, even with the addition of Gorath and Matongo uh so yeah there is an end game this this is not a forever podcast the way our star trek podcast is where we can do thousands of episodes and we'll never finish uh this has an ending and we will get there but first we got to do a couple of quick couple of quick side quests gotta grind a little bit before we can level up and do the millennium era Uh, (laughs) but uh in any case thank you everybody for listening thank you for joining us Uh, If you want to hear Matongo a week early, if you're listening to this on the main podcast feed, over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you can listen to all of our new podcasts ad-free and all of our episodes of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday, one week early, uh, so you can enjoy it right now. And all of our patrons who are listening to this early, thank you very, very much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for keeping us honest. A lot of the recommendations for films that we missed uh, in this cycle have come from uh, our patrons uh, a few have also come from letterbox where we're keeping an ongoing list of all the movies that we're doing in case people want to watch along with us um uh, and that's on my letterbox so just look for william to be on a letterbox and you can find that list um we're, we're also on social <laughs> yeah we're, we're all we're also in, i i almost never update it i cannot remember to do it i just it's it's not like my thing but i do have some lists up there um yeah we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibbiani. Uh, Whitney's at Whitney Seibold.
1: Yeah, I'm at Whitney Seibold.
0: Uh, and uh, we, you can also, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box?
1: Yeah, send us a fiscal letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, nine double zero six four
0: Yeah, and we might read your uh, correspondence in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. So, thank you to everyone who does that. Anyway, that's it for Think Godzilla's Friday. Thank you, everybody. Have a great uh, uh, weekend, since we assume you're listening to this on Friday. And until next time, uh, star!